Amen. Good morning. It's always such a joy to see a, a dad baptizing his children. Amen. So we just uh, are so thankful for that. We, uh, everybody doing good? I've heard uh, the first song was Rise Up, so I guess that one's for the Falcons. Uh, I told Pastor Martin, I said, I wonder if there was an ulterior motive for Rise Up this morning, you know, that song. But, and I see some patriots. We have discord among the... <laughs> Amen. Amen. I, uh, we spoke last week on speaking to your mountain. And if you missed that, I hope you go to our website, gracepointvalosta.com. You can listen to the podcast there. The sermons are uploaded normally by Monday. And also, um, the website that I have, daleyoung.net, uh, we are putting out a lot of blogs, they call them, articles that will help you in especially not only understanding the grace message yourself, but also helping others to understand it. And I encourage you, if you've not signed up for that, once you sign up at that site, then you'll get the, the blogs. About every two weeks, we're putting out one. And there'll be a blessing to you, I believe. So we talked about how important it is to, to do the way Jesus did. You know, prayer is a series that we're in now on effectual prayer. And most of the church today doesn't pray any way close to the way that Jesus prayed. Or anybody in the New Testament, for that matter. And when Jesus went after things, he prayed to the problem. In other words, he spoke to the mountain. So when he got in a storm in the sea, he spoke to the wind, and it said he spoke to the sea. He spoke to those things. He spoke to a mountain. He spoke to a fig tree. He went in Peter's uh, home, and his mother-in-law was sick with a high fever, and Jesus did not pray and ask God to make her well, like the church would pray. Jesus rebuked the fever. When an unclean spirit or a demon manifested, he didn't pray to God and ask God to do something. He spoke to the unclean spirit. He commanded that thing to come out of the person. When he was standing facing a dead person, Lazarus, he didn't pray a prayer and he didn't ask God to help him out. He didn't ask God to do something. He spoke to Lazarus and he spoke to the problem. And that's the way that the New Testament church prayed. In the whole book of Acts, is the New Testament church moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. You will not find one prayer in the whole entirety of the book of Acts where someone is praying and asking God to do something about their problem, situation, sickness, or disease. You'll see those walking in authority. You'll see them speaking to the, to the problem. And so the church is not praying like the Bible has taught us to pray. Can y'all say amen to that? Amen. Just a little review if you weren't here last week. So it's very important if we want the results that Jesus had. Now I don't have time to get into it because this church is well familiar with that because I've taught that often. If you're sitting there thinking, well, that was Jesus, and I'm not Jesus, you know, every miracle that Jesus ever did, from walking on the water to raising Lazarus to healing lepers to whatever he did, listen, he did not do that because he was God's son. He did it as a man filled with the Holy Spirit. And in fact, until he was baptized in the Holy Spirit at his baptism service, he could not do anything about the problems, sickness, death, or disease that he encountered. Therefore, he buried his natural dad, Joseph, and became the carpenter and not the carpenter's son. How many knows that if he could have done something about his father's untimely death, he would have done something about it so Mary would not have been heartbroken? 
But he did just like a lot of us has had to do. He had to go to a funeral. He had to go to a graveside. He had to become, as the eldest son, the one that led the family business and took care of mama, his brothers and sisters. But when he was endued with power, the Bible says in Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Notice his address, Nazareth. Not Jesus Christ of heaven, but Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, who did what? Who went about doing what? Good. Healing all that were sick and oppressed of the devil. God didn't make people sick. God don't make people sick today, and God don't allow them to be sick. Come on, y'all. You say, well, I'm standing, preacher. I thought you'd read a verse. I'm getting there. Luke chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. Today we're talking about hindrances to receiving and manifesting what grace has provided, and I'm still talking about prayer. I'm going to read two verses that most everyone standing in this room does not believe. I know it's a bold statement. I'm going to read two verses that the majority of all Christians do not believe these two verses. If they ever do believe them, they believe them for a very short window of time. And then they become unbelievers in these two verses. These two verses are found in Luke 11, verse 9 and 10 says, Jesus talking, so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. And then in case you think it's just for a few special people, Verse 10 says, for everyone. Everybody say everyone. everyone. Say that includes me. Everyone who does what? Notice it don't say everyone who's worthy. Everyone who does this or does that. or It just says everyone who does what? What happens to them? They receive. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Now most people, most Christians absolutely do not believe those two verses. Let's just be honest. We don't believe them. We read over them and go, you either don't understand them, too hard. Let me tell you something. Most of religion is excuses for why God's promises don't work today. A lot of what is taught in the American Christian church is not Bible, but is excuses that man has come up to explain a powerless God in their minds. The reason most Christians don't believe this verse is this is what they say, I tried it, didn't work. I asked God for something, didn't get it. I knocked and it didn't open. I sought and I didn't find. So it doesn't work. And so what we do, listen, we allow our experience, negative experience, to carry more weight with us than the word of God. And we become unbelieving believers. We believe in him, but we don't really believe those verses. We don't believe that if we ask, we'll receive. We don't believe that if we'll knock, it'll be open. We don't believe that we'll seek and find. That's a lie from the enemy, and that's what he wants you because it takes faith in God and in his goodness to receive what grace has already freely provided. Amen? Y'all want to talk about this or just go on home? You want to talk about it? 
All right. Father, I love you. Thank you for your word, your people in this house. In Jesus' name, you can be seated. That was a Steve Lee prayer there. That was a fast one. <laughs> I was down with our Lake Park, we call Lake Park North Florida group. Uh, Mike and Kim Stewart lead that community group. I was with those guys Wednesday night at uh, Elder Billy Ray and Pam's home. And... Uh, of course, we were talking about what we had talked about, like all our community groups do last Sunday. And one thing that they mentioned, that, that Mike mentioned, was that he said that I was just talking to a group of men down in North Florida that I meet with on Monday mornings, and we were talking about this prayer thing and about prayer working and not receiving answers to prayer and this and that. And he said, the first thing they hit me with is something you talked about Sunday, last Sunday, he said, you said sometimes that, you know, the, that the people will tell you that the answer is no. And so he said, that's what I was hit with. And he said, I was really, you know, kind of caught off by having to explain that. And so when I told him, I said, you know, that is one of the first things that people will tell you. They'll say that, you know, the reason for unanswered prayers or things not happening or when you ask not receiving is because they say sometimes the answer is no. How many has ever heard of somebody tell you that? You can find that. You can find it on Google. People write, Christian authors write about it. And they say, you know, well, frankly, the sometimes the answer is no. But this is something that, that I have found years ago that I would ask those people that would say this to me. Ask them, did they actually hear God say no? And you'll never find somebody that will say yes unless they're a liar. I've never found a person to answer that affirmative and said, yes, I actually heard God tell me no. Not on his promises. You never will. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you. This is Paul writing. He says, by me. Silvanus and Timothy also preached him. He said, God's promises was not yes and no, but in him they were what? Yes. Verse 20 says, for all the promises. How many of them? All the promises of God in him, who's him? Jesus, are what? And in him, amen. What does amen really mean? It means let it be so. It means so it is. To the glory of God through us. So all of God's promises. So if God's given you a promise. Now what kind of promises have God given you? He gave you a promise of peace. So his answer to peace is always yes. Yes. He's given you a promise that by his stripes you were healed. So his answer to healing for every person all the time is always yes. It is always God's will to heal. Most believers don't believe that statement I just made. Let me ask you another statement. Do you believe that it's God's will for every single human to be saved? If you don't believe that, you don't believe the Bible. How many believe by lifting your hand that I believe it's God's will for every person to be saved and to be born again? Okay. Now, how many of you believe it's God's will for every person that's sick to be healed and to be delivered from their infirmity? Let me see your hand. I didn't get quite as many. Y'all know I can see hands at the back just as good as I can at the front. You know that, right? <laughs> I'm telling you, most believers do not believe that. But God has already paid the price for our forgiveness, our salvation. He's also paid the price for our healing. Well, I know this or that or why didn't. And we have all these excuses and we come up with all this religious stuff. But all of God's promises. Now, if God hadn't promised you something, 
If he hadn't promised you something by his death, burial, and resurrection, then you, then you, you, you won't get it. You, you know, you may actually hear him say no on that. But you'll never ask God for healing to manifest or these other things or provision for your home or household. And, go, and the answer is no. You won't even get an answer not now, maybe later. God doesn't, he doesn't do that. All of his promises are yes and amen. So I, I want to give you some reasons this morning for those, those, those things that hinder us from receiving. See, the problem is not with the transmitter, God. The problem is with the receiver. I could fall in the floor right now and start crying and begging and pleading with God as to why I can't hear, you know, 92.1 or whatever your station is, 101.1 or whatever it is. But you understand that there are invisible, non-audible to you right now, sound waves penetrating through this room. You can't see them, and you can't hear them, but it don't mean they're not here. There are images flying by your head. There are sounds. There's songs. There's videos. There's all flying by you right now. And the only reason that you're not aware of it is you're not receiving them. But they're here. You agree with that? They're here. But it's not, the problem is not with us our us receiving is, is not because they're not transmitting. Your problem with manifesting your healing is not because God hadn't transmitted it already. It's because you hadn't received it yet. And people don't like that. They want to be lazy and blame God for it. I love being with, with, with you guys in these community groups because we get to talk different than we do here. Pam, if it's okay, Pam, I didn't ask her this, but she texted me, I guess, or, or emailed me that night, or maybe it was next morning. It was next morning before I saw it. And uh, she's like a lot of us, like myself. There's things that I'm believing for that I haven't seen manifested yet in the natural realm. You understand what I mean by that? You remember when Jesus cursed the fig tree? It was 24 hours later before there was any visible results that anything had happened. That is the problem there, is that we think because we can't perceive it with our five senses that we don't have it. It didn't happen. Okay? And that's the problem. And I know this goes against the mind. It goes against the natural mind. The Bible says the natural mind is an enmity against God. It can't receive the things that be of God. It don't even know them. It doesn't mean your natural mind is, is, is evil. It just means it's not spiritual. Your mind is in the process of being renewed right now while I teach the Word of God. But your spirit being, your born-again spirit, human spirit, is perfect. You, in that spirit, you have peace. You have love. You have the mind of Christ. You don't have to pray for the mind of Christ. You have it. That's the only way you can be double-minded. You have to have two minds. It's like having two computers. You just pull, turn on the one you want to use. Right? Right now on my desk at home, there's two laptops. One of them belongs to me. One belongs to Sister Jill. Sometimes if hers not working properly, I'll look in there and mine's gone. <laughs> she has taken mine and she's doing her stuff on it. Because we have choice between two computers, but they behave differently. S similar in some ways, but, but they behave, but they both have different information in them. Stored in them. But it's depending on which one you're drawing from. You have a natural mind and you have the mind of Christ. I spent decades praying for the mind of Christ. Not knowing that the Bible says we have it. Paul, nowhere does the Bible say pray for it. You have it. How many Christians have you heard beg, plead, and pray? Lord, we just ask you to give us the mind of Christ. You're calling God a liar. You don't mean to, but you're doing it. You're saying he's a liar. He's not true. Paul said the mind of Christ came on board. It's like a steering wheel. It came with the car. You don't have to pray for one. 
Just use what's been given to you. Amen? So you have the mind of Christ. You have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to pray for the anointing. Paul said three times in the New Testament, we have the anointing you have received. You have the anointing. So what do we do? We pray and ask God to anoint us with a special anointing. Anything God does is special, by the way. I want to tell you that. People used to, God, when I evangelized six years, they'd gather me up in the preacher's office, you know, before I preach. Oh, God, we just pray you'd anoint Brother Dale with a special anointing today. And we all meant good, but I'm really thinking even when God began to show me that I have the anointing, if they didn't think I was anointed, why did they invite me? Are they believing it's going to fall on me here in the next five seconds? They better pray it does. If it don't, we're in a mess. See, we don't draw from what we have been given because we don't believe we have it. We don't know what we have. We don't know that by a stripe we were healed. So not knowing is a big reason for not receiving. In Acts chapter 19, verses 1 and 2, Paul came across some disciples of Apollos, this great apostle. And Paul, it says, having passed through Corinth, it says, having uh, through the upper regions, he came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive... Notice what the emphasis is on. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? It wasn't did God give the Holy Spirit. Now listen to me. This right here is about almost 20 years after the day of Pentecost. So in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was given. Right? And, and, it was, and he, he didn't sneak in the back door. He came in the front door. The sound of a mighty rushing wind filled all the house. And there was great demonstration that the Holy Spirit had come. Is that right? So now the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon all flesh for 20 years. Peter stood up that day and preached, said, and this is that that was prophesied by the mouth of the prophet Joel, but it's now here. What does the church do today? They pray and ask God to pour out his Holy Spirit. As if God's a liar and hadn't poured it out. He poured it out in Acts chapter 2 when the day of Pentecost was fully come. He poured out his Holy Spirit upon all flesh. You can pray all you want to. You can have revivals. You can have prayer emphasis. And you can pray that God will pour out his Spirit. He's already poured it out. You can pray that God will open the heavens. He's already opened to heaven. There is no demon blocking your prayer. You don't have to tear a hole in the heaven. Jesus did that for you. Isaiah 64 and 1 has been fulfilled. Oh God, that thou would rend the heavens and come down. God ripped the heavens apart at the baptism of his son Jesus. God came down and his address is E-A-R-T-H, earth now. He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit since you believed? They said, we've not even so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. That's the problem in the church. People have not even heard what I'm trying to preach. They haven't even heard that they got the mind of Christ. They haven't even heard that they have the anointing. They haven't even heard that by his stripes you were healed. They're trying to get God to come and, and heal them. They haven't heard. Paul said sometimes you don't receive because you ask amiss. It's not a word we use too much in our English, but it just means that you're asking wrongly. He, uh, James 4, 3 says you ask now, we read where it says you ask and you shall receive. But here James says, in James 4 and 3, you'll ask and you did not receive. You ask and you do not receive. Why? Because you ask amiss. You ask wrongly. That you may spend it on your pleasures. 
In other words, you're asking not according to the word of God. God's not going to help you do things that are not his will and purpose. Praying, you may think this is really strange, and I promise you I've been doing this for 30 years now, but I have seen people that, in other words, let me, let me give you an example. If you are a single lady and you see a couple and you really like the way this man treats his wife and you really like the way he looks and you just like everything about him and you wish you had him. I have seen women pray that God would move that woman out the way so she could get who she was supposed to be with, which is her husband. Uh, you, you ask amiss. God's not going to help you. I, I'm not making this up. But many, many years ago, I heard a, a, a many years ago, I heard a, a in fact, it made, it made news around far beyond this one man's ministry. But there was a woman, this was in the 70s, a woman decided that she was going to have Kenneth Copeland as her husband. The only problem was that, that she was already, he was already married to Gloria. This woman declared by faith that she believed that God would move Gloria out of the way. By the way, that's called voodoo and witchcraft, in case you need to know the cut to the short version. But that she would move her out, that God would move her out of the way, and that she would be with her rightful uh, soulmate, which was Kenneth Copeland. And so she uh, declared that, and she was a minister. She had a church and a ministry. Uh, this is in Texas, and she declared that publicly, unapologetically. And in fact, she had a public ceremony where she wore a wedding dress, and symbolically, she said, in the spirit, was joined to Kenneth Copeland publicly in front of the body of Christ. Last time I checked was like five minutes ago, Kenneth and Glory still married. God's not going to help you. There you can ask, but you're not going to receive because you ask amiss. Now, I know that's a real stretch, and you're going like, my God. But people do a, a whole lot worse than that. You ask God to move people out the way, and that's just a nice Christian way of saying, God, kill them. I want that promotion, and so I want you to do something with that person. I pray they get fired and get out of the way, so I'll get that promotion. Man, I've heard Christians pray all kind of crazy mess. Some of them I've heard pray out of my own mouth. But we ask amiss. Are you with me? Sometimes we don't understand that just because you can't see something, it does not mean that you don't have it. You ever had the virus? Did you see the virus? Who told you you had a virus? You ever seen a virus? No, you ain't never seen no virus. But you tell people, I got the virus. <laughs> well, where is that? It's somewhere in here. I don't know. It's, a, it's, it's in my tummy. It's here. It's there. You have the virus. You ain't never seen a virus. In other words, in, listen, in the physical realm, there are things that are real but unseen. Just like in the spirit realm, things are unseen. God is not a spirit. God, John 4, is spirit. So God being a spirit, when God does something and operates and moves, it's going to be in the realm of the spirit before it manifests in the natural realm. 
So when Jesus cursed the fig tree, it happened in the realm of the spirit first. But it took 24 hours before the manifestation came into the physical realm. So it is when we say, decree, declare, prophesy, and proclaim things in God's word. We speak those out by faith, but sometimes we don't see immediate results of what we're praying or what we're claiming or what we're declare declaring. And so because we can't see the instant manifestation of it, we think it didn't happen. And therefore we become believers in unbelief and we go back to our seat or wherever and we get what we believe. We believe we didn't receive anything. Because what you don't understand is, I'm trying to get you to see, is you already have everything you need. You already have it. And I know it's hard for all of us that's been raised to trying to beg God to do something today. Today is your day, sister. Let me tell you when your day was, sister, 2,000 years ago when Jesus hung on the cross. That was your day. That was your day. God's not arbitrarily deciding I'm going to heal somebody today. God's not deciding, you know what, this guy's been lost for 10 years. I believe I'll save him today. February the 5th, isn't that what the day today is? February the 5th, I believe I'll just save him today. I've decided that I'm going to save your husband today. That is the biggest lie. God decided 2,000 years. Actually, God decided before then. He decided before the foundation of the world to save your husband. Because Christ was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Why do you slay a lamb? It's not hard. I wish y'all would play. Why do you slay a lamb? Okay, to, let's do it. To kill it. To shed its blood. For what purpose? So that in the old covenant, the sins were covered. Jesus didn't cover your sins, he removed them. But he's the Lamb of God that took away, John said, Behold, the Lamb that taketh away the sin of the world. Did Jesus take away the sin of the world? Well, what's God judging folks for then? How could God be judging America for her sin if he took it away? morning God's not judging America God didn't send Katrina to judge New Orleans the devil sent Katrina to kill steal and destroy how many storms did you ever see Jesus bless in the New Testament if God sends storms then who was Jesus rebuking when he rebuked the wind and the sea if God was behind the storm he was rebuking his father and if a house is divided against itself, it cannot stand. When those tornadoes came the other day, me and a few of you has been taught the word of God, walked out in our yard and commanded it not to destroy our homes. And we spoke to the wind. And we spoke to, the, to those things and we didn't ask God to do something because God's put authority in me. So I stand there and in the name of Jesus, I command this tornado that's coming. I command it not to destroy, blow one shingle off of my house. I command it not to put a tree down upon my family, upon my house, and upon my church, and upon my children's homes. Well, what if you did that, Brother Dale, and a tree fell on your house? I'd be standing right out there by the tree still talking to the wind. That's what Jesus did. He rebuked the wind. He spoke to the sea. 
Jesus is your prototype. Do it like he did it. Well, that was Jesus, Brother Dale. Well, where has God put you? You're in Christ. Jesus said, John 14, the same works you see me do, shall you do. Do it like I do it. Come on now. So you, but most Christians think what I just said is arrogance, foolishness, just silliness. Because they haven't read their Bibles. You don't get the results. When you start getting the results, when cancer starts falling between, from your words, then you lie, then we'll talk. Are you getting the results? And you speak to a barren womb and see it bring forth life. And when doctors, are, I mean, when, when you start getting the results I'm getting, I don't mean that arrogantly, but when you get results different than what I'm getting, then, I mean, I mean, how's your results going? How's your prayer answers stacking up? I don't mean that mean, but what you fighting for? Why are you getting mad at me? Because you, you asking and not receiving or you don't even ask no more. Because you've given up. Just because you don't see it. Somebody, I got the virus. Somebody preached a word to you called virus. You believed it. And you say, I got it. Some of you actually claim it when it comes. Virus season is going or The virus is going around. Well, let it just go right around my house and on my passes. You, you do stuff all the time if you would just, okay, you, you know, you believe in germs. You, you ever seen a germ? Why do you believe, why are you germ believers? <laughs> hands as clean as, as they can be, and before you eat, you wash your hands. When I leave here today, a bunch of y'all done shook my hands and a bunch more shake them after service, and I love you, but I don't want you what you got. So before I go eat today, I'll say to my wife, hand me the stuff. She knows what I'm talking about. She's going to reach in the purse, pull out the little alcohol gel. I'm going to squirt it on my hands, and I'm going to sit there and, and rub that alcohol stuff all on my hands. And sometimes people look at me, and I say, don't worry about it. I'm just washing the fellowship off. <laughs> I don't mean that to offend you, but I'm believing in the invisible. And I am dealing with something that I cannot see. You have faith in germs. You've never seen a germ. And the only reason you believe in a germ is because somebody told you it exists. I'm telling you to have faith in God. I'm telling you that this that I'm preaching exists. I'm telling you that by his stripes you were healed. If you would have the same faith in God that you have in germs, you'd see healings manifesting. You'd see miracles. You'd see all these things. If you could just believe. Believe what I'm preaching to you. Believe the word of God. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Come on. <laughs> 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18. Another reason that we don't receive what grace has provided is because there's a devil loose, as Rod Parsley likes to say on the planet. Satan hinders. He hinders. He can't stop, but he can hinder. This great apostle, 1 Thessalonians 2 and 18 He's writing to the church there, and he says, Therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. you got to understand that there's other factors going on as to why you don't receive immediately sometimes. It's not because God hadn't sent it. It's because we hadn't received it. Because there's things working that we can't see. 
Anybody ever seen Satan? No, sister, you're not married to him. You ain't seen him, but you believe in him. If you would talk about Jesus as much as you talk about the devil. When I was a little boy, they would have Wednesday night testimony. Even at 12, I knew it should have been called Wednesday night brag on the devil time. That's all I ever heard. Anybody raised like I was here, all those testimonies? Devil been on my back all week, but I just want to give God praise. Y'all pray I'll hold true to the end, and then they'd sit down. And I'd go, thank God they sat down. I didn't hear nothing about God, faith, belief. I heard what the devil was doing. I would also hear this. The devil said to me this. The devil told me this. The devil told me that. It's amazing how good we can hear the devil. I thought we were sheep. And he was the shepherd and we know his, his voice. Some of you are praying and asking to hear God. Jesus said if you're a sheep, you get to hear. What are you praying for? My sheep know my voice. You already know the voice of God. Some of you are begging to hear God. And you're hearing him all the time. You're just not recognizing him. The only question is, are you a sheep or a goat? <laughs> if you're a goat, that means you're not born again. You don't hear God. But if you're a Christian, you hear the shepherd. You hear him. Have confidence that you can hear God. You can hear him. Paul said Satan hindered us. We wanted to come. God's will for him to come. But this ain't heaven. We're on earth and Satan hindered. The variable is not God, but the devil. Listen to me. Some of you have a lot more, lot more faith. You got way too big a devil and way too small of a God. That's why David said, magnify the Lord with me. Let us together exalt his name. You, if you take a magnifying glass and put it over an ant and you see him larger than he really is, does, is the ant really larger? Your perception is larger though, right? You understand this. I'm not trying to be, speak down to you. But when you're magnifying God, you're not making God larger than he is. But to you, you are. In your eyes, he's become larger. Some people got way too small a God they talk to, pray to. And so most people believe that the devil is just, he never misses. He's 100%. You know, he, you know, he never strikes out. He never misses. He's, you know, he just does his thing. And I want to tell you, that's a lie. I don't have time to get into a whole bunch of it. But I want to tell you something. Not everyone has a personal demon assigned to you. You need to hear that. Let me say this. Everybody in here has an angel assigned to you by God. The New Testament teaches that. And that angel does always behold the face of the Father on your behalf. That should comfort you. You ever seen your angel? Why do you believe it then? I ask you a question. I said, why do you believe it then? Let me ask you this then. How many of you believe you have an angel that goes with you everywhere you go? I told you this for years. I was prophesied over by two different prophets that I had been given as my ministry gift. Uh, 
two other angels that would be with me every time I stood and preached the gospel. That's a nice prophecy. I enjoyed receiving it. It blessed me. And I believed it. And there would be times I would wonder, like, where were y'all last night when I ministered? There was this man, short version of this long story. I saw him on Sid Roth, this television program, being interviewed by Sid Roth. He died, was dead for quite a while on the operating table, came back. I can't explain all that now. But anyway, when he, you know, came back to, to himself, it seemed that he was graced with a gift of the Spirit to discerning of spirits, one of the gifts out of 1 Corinthians 12, distinguishing of spirits. That's not discerning of demons, by the way. That's, that gift doesn't exist. Okay? And so he could be able to, most of the time, church or not, look at people and see their angelic presence with them. I went to pick him up. My wife and I did. Uh, we invited him to minister at our church. I pastored. He came. He was going to do a weekend conference for, uh, for us. Uh, several people that are here were, were in that conference years ago. He came, and I picked him up at the Hampton. I was going to take him to supper. Had a couple of questions I wanted to ask him about. And so as we were sitting in the truck, before we pulled out of the Hampton parking lot, I said, Brother, I understand that you can see in the realm of the Spirit most all the time. And I said, Does that include now? He said, yes. And I said, when you look at me, what do you see? So he just looked. Jill sitting right there in the truck with me. Him and his wife are in the back seat. He said, when I look at you, I see your guardian angel, the angel that God has assigned to you. He said, he looks very much like you. In fact, he looks identical to you. He said, but I also see two other angels that go with you everywhere you minister the gospel. So I see three. <laughs> and, I, and this ain't air conditioning that's pushing my coat off my back while I just told you that. I said, where you want to eat, brother? <laughs> Picked a restaurant. He had no way of knowing what I had been prophesied to. But he saw those other two angels that standing with me right now, and they talk in my ear while I preach to you. And they bring things to my remembrance. They help me. You won't find any miracles, anything going on in the Bible without angelic presence. You just need to know that. But can you believe in the unseen? Sometimes we don't understand that Satan hinders. Don't have time to go through the verses, but in Daniel 9, very familiar to most Christians, Daniel 9, Daniel is in Babylonian captivity. He is praying to God. I won't go into all the details of why he's praying and what he's praying, but this is the point. Listen, in Daniel 9, he prays to God, and, and, and he gets an immediate answer to his prayer. And the angel Gabriel comes and tells him that as soon as you prayed, I, the command went forth and I was sent. And so he comes, and immediately he receives his answer to his prayer. The next chapter, chapter 10 Daniel again finds himself in need of prayer, and he prays again. This time he joins it with fasting. They call it the Daniel fast. So he does this for three weeks, 21 days. And the reason he did it for 21 days is because he didn't get an answer the first day. So he went another day, and he didn't get an answer the second day, so he went another day. And he went an answer. It wasn't nothing magical about 21. It was just 21 days until the angel showed up again. Now, I would ask you why the difference? I mean, he got an answer immediately the first time in Daniel 9. Once you get a good response, you kind of got a lot of faith in that, right? 
So you expect it to even go easier next time. Well, glory to God. And you pray, and it doesn't work. You ask, and you don't receive. What's going on? Does God not care? Blah, blah, whatever. Listen, 21 days went by, and then the angel comes. The angel said, we want you to know that as soon as you prayed, the command went forth. The answer was sent. But the prince of Persia withstood me. And I, there was a war in the heavens for 21 days until Michael the archangel came and delivered us. Now I can't explain all that to you other than to say, now listen, the devil hindered. 21 days he hindered the answer. But was that God's will? No. When did God send the answer? As soon as he prayed. So on one prayer, Daniel 9, immediate answer, Daniel 10 took 21 days to get it. But God's the same. God's constant. God's faithful. God doesn't change. Now listen to me. I don't really like even using that passage because some Christians get flaky with it. That's Old Testament. Nobody in the Old Testament had power over demonic spirits. Nobody. So from Genesis all the way to Malachi, all of those books of the 39 books of the Old Covenant, you will never find one human being, Elijah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, nobody casting out a devil or even speaking to or dealing with the devil because man was in dominion to Satan. But when Jesus came, all authority and power was given unto him. And before he left, he gave us the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And he said, you cast out devils now. You heal the sick. You raise the dead. You do what I did because you have authority now. We don't go around doing that. We're begging God to do what he told you to do. He told you, he didn't tell you to pray for the sick. He told you to heal the sick. See how quiet it gets? Well, Brother Dale, I can't heal the We know you can't in your own power. Stop wasting time. You know how to cut the lights on at your house, don't you? We know you're not Georgia Power. We know you're not the source. But don't sit in the dark and complain about the darkness. Have faith in God. Turn the lights on. Flip a switch in there. Glory to God. I mentioned Copeland's name and I feel his anointing coming on me this morning. Glory to God. Or Brother Hagen's. I don't know which it is. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Have faith in God. Don't sit in the dark and say, well, 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 Georgia Power won't cut the lights on. They're the source, but have faith. Every time you flip a switch in your house, you're saying, I got faith. I'm just going to do You couldn't explain electricity to save your life. In fact, if you mess with it much, it'd kill you. But you use it every day, and you benefit from it. We know you're not the source of the healing. We know I'm not the healer, but I represent the healer. I'm an ambassador for Christ. Come on, somebody. Listen to me. Daniel 10 is different for us now today because I'm not going to wait 21 days and watch the, the, the DVD video of a devil hindering my prayer. If I have discernment and I see the enemy, then now I have been granted authority just like Jesus had and I can speak to that demonic spirit and I can command it to let the answer through and hinder no longer. Come on now. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, 
Why not a roaring bear? Why not a growling cheetah? Why not a hippopotamus? They kill more people than any animal on the face of the globe. Seriously, they do. Why, why not? You know, why, why a lion? Why would Satan come as a roaring lion? Why don't he come as a roaring grizzly bear? You ever wonder about that? Why, why a lion? And he says he comes like. Didn't say he was. He says he comes like. Satan wants to be like. A roaring lion. Come on now, Revelation's coming to you right here if you'll get it. Like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He can't devour everybody because he's shorthanded. He ain't got enough demons to assign all of you one to bother you. Sometimes the devil ain't causing the problems you causing them. It's your decisions. Sometimes your washing machine just broke just because it's old. It ain't because the devil did it. Sometimes the dog just come by and drug your drawers off the clothesline just because he wanted to drag them off the clothesline to have something to play with. And it wasn't the devil behind it. Oh, I had a flat tire on the way to church. I know it was Satan. No, you've been riding on bald tires for 10 months. You run over a rock and it put a hole in it because it was you could read a paper through it. It's a thin. The devil gets way too much credit. Sometimes he is behind the things that come against us. But not always. Some of you blame everything on the devil. Oh, my hair didn't work right today. I mean, the devil's just got into it. I'll tell you. <laughs> it's going to be a bad day, a bad hair day. No, it's a good day. You got hair? Be glad. Glory to God. <laughs> the Bible says resist him. Verse 9 says resist him. You can ask God to resist him for you, but it won't work. You have to resist him. Resist is not passive, it's active. Resist him. Steadfast in what? How do you resist the devil? In faith. How did Jesus resist him when he came? It is written, he would say. You resist him in faith. Knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. You're not being picked on. You're not the only one going through what you're going through. The whole world's got problems. Your brothers and sisters are having problems. If one of them overcomes, you just lost your excuse. Listen, the devil can't devour everyone. He's shorthanded. He's spread too thin. He's seeking whom he may devour. He chooses the weak ones. He chooses those who separate from the herd. Y'all know this is a gathering of the herd. And I, you know you're a herd animal as a sheep. You know I'm the shepherd. I'm an under-shepherd. I'm also a sheep between me and God. But as far as what I'm doing now, I'm an under-shepherd under the chief shepherd. And so if you see me as just a preacher, then I'm not your shepherd. But if you see me as a shepherd, when I say follow me, you'll be there. Even if it looks like we're going on dry ground because I'm your shepherd. You, you understand? My sheep know my voice. Is their pastor. They said, that's my pastor. They recognize that's my shepherd. They recognize that. And so... So you got to understand that you're not meant to be alone. You're a herd animal. You're meant to be with the herd. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the herd. No, I'm, come on. Come on. <laughs> you're a herd. Come on. You're a herd animal. You're to be connected. You're to be part of the flock. You're not a flock by yourself. You're not a church by yourself. Paul compared the church to a body. 
every joint supplies. Just because you're laying out there elbow, that don't make you a body. You can't be a body by yourself. That's why you, that's why you have church. That's why you're connected in church. Now, let, let me answer this for you, and then i got to move on. The reason Satan chose the lion, and I can show you verse after verse. I'll just give you a few of them. We're not, we won't go there. No need to try to throw them up. But Hosea 11 and 10, Joel chapter 3, verse 16, Amos chapter 1, verse 2, and many others reveal to us who the roaring lion in the Bible is. And the roaring lion in the Bible is Jesus. He roars out of Zion. Jesus is the lion. Is that what it says or not? Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the roaring lion. He roars out of Zion for his children. He is compassionate. He, he, is, he is in love with his bride. He roars out of Zion like a lion. So what does Satan do? He comes like a roaring lion so that you won't resist him. So he makes you think, listen, what you're going through is because God's doing it or because God's allowing it. So he makes you think what's coming against you is really Jesus so that you won't fight it. He comes as a roaring lion. And if you don't know the truth about your father, you'll be deceived by that. Now, Mark chapter 8, we'll close with this. 8 verse 22. Jesus talking in, 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 about this man, blind man. says in Mark 8, 22, Then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So look what Jesus does in response. Now look what he does. So he, Jesus, took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. Hmm. That's unusual. So he's in town. He's in this town called Bethsaida. They bring him a blind man and says, we want you to touch him, to heal him. Jesus takes him by the hand and says, go with me. And he leads him out of town. And when he had spit on his eyes, now leading him out of town was a little unusual, but this right here now is really weird. Spit on his eyes. Then he put his hands on him. Where do you think he put his hands? Right on top of his eyes where he had just spit. Don't miss this revelation. He asked, Jesus asked him after he did that. So Jesus spit on his eye, on his eyes, put his hands on him. Notice he didn't say and pray to God, God to do something. He didn't ask God to return this man's sight to him. He didn't pray, God, if it's your will, let him be healed. If not, let him stay blind. He asked him, after he laid his hands on him, if he saw anything. That's a good question to ask a blind person. You just pray for him. Do you see anything? Can you see anything now? And he looked up and he said, I see men like trees walking. But that's not how you're supposed to see men. So listen, right here in the Bible... I'm showing you proof of a partial manifestation of his healing. Jesus apparently was not satisfied with that, nor should the man have been. In verse 25, then he, Jesus, put his hands on his eyes. Where did I tell you he put his hands for a while ago? 
Where does it say he put his hands? He put his hands on his eyes what? Again. Why are you worried if you ask twice? He put his hands on his eyes again and made him. Sometimes you got to make people look up. Because it's so normal for them to look down. Some of you need to be made to look up. Some of you need to be positive. Some of you need to start looking at the dirt, start looking toward the heavens where your answer comes from. My help cometh from the Lord from above, not beneath. He made him look up and look at, and he was restored and saw everyone clearly. All right, let's, let's just finish up with this little story. Why would Jesus lead this man out of town? Because in Luke 10 and 13, he says this. Luke 10 and 13, he says, Jesus says, Woe to you, Chorazan. It's the name of a town. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Where was he just at? Bethsaida. He said, If the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. So this town was permeated with unbelief. Your problem and my problem is not that we don't have faith. Your problem is you have unbelief that is blocking your faith. You have been given the measure of faith. Every man has received the measure of faith. What faith? The, Paul said, the life that I now live, I live by the faith of, not in, the Son of God. What kind of faith do you have? You have Jesus' faith. Where is it at? In your spirit. In your born-again spirit. Lord, I just need more faith. No, you don't. You need to release the faith you have. Because the faith you have is the faith of God, the faith of Christ. Faith comes by hearing. Where's the hearing at? That's in your mind. Your mind's being renewed. When you hear the word of God, it stirs up faith in you. Jesus took him out of that atmosphere of unbelief. Jesus, listen, Jesus got him out of town, but he didn't have all the town out of him. Jesus got him out of Egypt, but he didn't get all the Egypt out of them right initially. Come on, somebody. Listen, when Jesus asked him if he saw anything, listen, he was not asking him, did it work? He was not asking him, did God do anything? He wasn't asking him, did God heal you? He was asking him, have you received? This man received partial manifestation of his complete healing that Jesus was there to pay for on the cross. Now, why the spit? Deut Deuteronomy 28 and 28 says that part of the curse was that God would smite people with blindness for their disobedience. All through the Bible, in the Jewish culture, we see a lot of spitting going on. Job was spit upon by those that come to comfort him in his horrible trial. Do you know that? He was spit on. Do you know that Jesus himself was spit on on the Via Della Rosa, the trail of bloody footprints, by all the Jews that lined the corridor that he came carrying that cross? Many and most would spit upon him as he passed their location. I mean, why that? That's weird. I used to read this about Jesus spitting. One time he spit on the ground and made a mud pie and took it on the guy's eye and told him to go wash. But on this occasion, he actually spit in the face of this man. 
And then he laid his hand on top of the spittle, which is a non-Jewish thing you don't do because it's unclean. For a Jew to spit upon someone, what they're actually saying, the reason they spit on Jesus, the reason they, because cursed is the man who hangs on the cross. So they're saying this man, because he's going to the cross, is cursed by God. Therefore, we agree with Yahweh, God, and his judgment on this man. And to, and to, to declare our agreement with God, they spit on him. And by spitting, they're saying we agree with God. When they spit upon Job, they were agreeing with God's judgment, his sores, his problem, that God was behind it. And so we spit upon you, and we're actually saying, amen, God. And so when they saw people born blind, remember the disciples asked Jesus one time, who is it that sinned, this man or his parents, that he be born blind? They saw it as a judgment of God, part of the old covenant, Deuteronomy 28, curses that came with disobedience. So how many times do you think that this man who was born blind was been spit upon? By his culture. Do you know he couldn't go to church? You know that, right? Lame men were laid at the gate called beautiful, but you don't get to go through the gate into the temple. If you were sick, deformed, had amputees. You remember one time there was a man with a withered hand that wanted to be inside the church so bad that he stuck and hid his hand and went to church anyway, knowing that if they saw that withered hand, he would have been excommunicated and not allowed to be there, but he wanted to be in the house of God so bad that day. And that day, there was a different preacher preaching, and his name was Jesus. And by the Spirit, he had knowledge that there was a man there with a withered hand. And Jesus actually calls the man out. Some people say, that's not in the Bible for me to call people out. Or you call. I mean, Jesus did. So he called this man out and says, sir, stand forth. So the man stands up. He says, Stretch forth your hand. Stop hiding. Stop pretending. If it's withered, it means it's dying. Stop pretending your marriage is good when you know it's dying. Stop pretending everything's all right when it's withering away. Hide it in the church if you want to. But Jesus is trying to get you to stand up in the word of God and stretch out and let everybody just say, I ain't fronting no more. And he told him to stretch forth. Jesus told him to do what he could not do. And when he stretched forth his hand, he was immediately made whole. Because faith came in the house. But he said, how'd that man know I had a withered hand? Had to be God. Come on, somebody. Now, how many times had this man been spit upon? Countless, no doubt. Jesus will take the very thing that has tried to destroy you, to curse you, to damn you, that swore would be your demise. And you know this was coming like a roaring lion. This was Satan having people spit on this man, and that man thought the whole time, this is God. God's judging me. That's why I've been born blind. And when they spit on me, and the spittle run down his face, he knew every time he felt it, that God was saying, you're cursed. And the people were saying, amen, God, he is cursed. So Jesus takes him out of the atmosphere of unbelief and takes him out there. And one more time, this man can't see a thing. He's heard that sound many a time. Many a time. 
And he goes, oh, no, man. One more time. Here it comes. And he feels the spittle on his eyes. But this time, he felt something along with the spittle that he'd never felt. The gentle touch of a hand that touched into the spittle and covered his blindness and pulled his hands away. Do you see anything? I see men, but they look like trees. Jesus says, put his hands on his eyes again. He doesn't say he said anything, so we'll just leave it at what it says. Took his hand down second time and says, how do you see? You know what he was saying? Have you received? How do you receive? Do you receive this? He said, I see all men clearly. <laughs> That's where God will carry you. God will bring you to the completion and, listen, and the full manifestation of whatever you need. I remember hearing a brother say that he was in a meeting and he was trying to get people to see what I'm trying to get you to see. And there was a man that came and was blind, born blind in one eye. Could see out of one eye, clearly, but he couldn't see out of the other eye. So when the call was given for people to be healed, this man came forward. It takes faith to do that. A lot of people that are blind don't even believe that God could do anything about their condition. Some of you don't believe that God can do anything about your marriage. You don't believe that God can do anything about your finances. You don't believe God. That's the problem. You don't believe. That's why you're not receiving. It's not because God hadn't transmitted. It's not because God hadn't given. It's because you hadn't believed. Therefore, you hadn't received. But this man came forward. And so he began to declare and command healing. He said, I command sight to come into this eye. After he did that, he had the good eye covered. And he says, do you see? How many fingers am I holding up? And so he held up fingers like this. And the guy's looking over there. Obviously, he can't even see. He said, I don't even, I don't see anything. Can't see anything. He said, when that happened and you did that publicly, like if I was to do that this morning, this meeting, you could feel unbelief just come rushing into the house. Unbelief just filled the place. And then, you know what people start feeling? Oh, man, I'd hate to be that preacher. He looks pretty foolish right there. That's pretty stupid. Oh, he should have just preached three points in a poem on how to get saved and let it go at that, not try to be that healing kind of guy. Boy, I have been there a lot of times. And discerning the spirit of unbelief, he said, for all of you that are in this church service, this is what this man said. He said that all of you that are here that don't believe that this man has already received his healing 2,000 years ago, and that all we're believing for is the manifestation of what has already freely been given. And if you don't believe that he already has been healed, then I ask you, and, or if you're here and don't understand what I just said, please vacate the sanctuary. When's the last time that ever happened? Now, Jesus did it in Mark 5 with Jairus' house. Dead girl, he said, get out. Because they laughed him to scorn. Because Jesus said, she's not dead, she's just asleep. So when the people... Majority of all of them got up and left. They like this is crazy. That preacher's crazy. This is stupid. I mean, I, so they left. He said there were approximately twenty people left in the service. They began to pray again for the man. 
determined to see the manifestation of what grace had freely provided for this man, his sight. After a while, the man that was preaching the meeting said he heard the Lord say to him, he does not need a healing, he needs a miracle. He said about the time that that thought came to him, one of his team members said out loud, I just heard the Lord say to me that this man doesn't need a healing, but he needs a miracle. So he knew that was God. So he walked over to the man and said, tell me details about that eye. He said, well, I was born without a retina, and I was born without, named a couple things that he was not even born with, therefore he had never seen. Because those things and parts of his eye, the retina and nerves and so forth, were missing. He had never had them. How I many can understand that he didn't need a healing? He needed a creative miracle. How I many knows that healing and miracles are different? So then they adjusted their faith and directed it more specifically. And they laid, this man laid his hands on this man and said, I command this right eye to receive a retina. I command this right eye to receive an optic nerve. I command it, and he named the three things that were missing. Pulled his hand down and says, how many fingers am I holding up? He said, one. And he saw clearly. And he had received his miracle from God. Now, you say, well, I don't believe that. Well, if I brought the man up here and he was giving his first testimony, you wouldn't believe it. Because, listen, most Christians will not, they believe more. I don't mean this to be mean now. They believe more in the doctor's word than they do in the word of God. It has been my experience that most Christians do not want, or, nor do they get excited about their healing and or their miracle until the doctor has affirmed that they are healed. Once they go to the doctor and he says, I don't find the cancer, then they want to take the report and they come just tearing back to me. And I'm glad for that. And I'm glad for at least that level. But my heart breaks and longs for the day that we would put as much faith in God's word as we do in the doctor's word. And that we would believe that God is not a liar and that we would believe just because I can't touch it, taste it, smell it, or feel it or see the manifestation of it, I already know I have it. I have been healed by his stripes. I have been healed. I receive my manifestation of what has already occurred. It has occurred in the realm of the spirit. It might take 24 hours before I'll see it. It might take 21 days before I see the manifestation. I end with this. Real quick, I know a lot of you have heard it. Forgive me, I can't make up another life. Born, my parents sitting right there, mom and dad. Born with weak ankles, problems with bones, okay? First grade, around there, and they take me to a uh, podiatrist. Nobody in those days went to specialists hardly. There wasn't many specialists even to go to. In those days, and that would have been in the 60s, wasn't it? They put me in stacked shoes. Anybody know what I mean by stacked shoes? Any children of the 70s here, glory to God. In the 70s, 77, stacked shoes was cool. But in the 60s, it ain't got here yet. So I remember wearing heels that thick that was supposed to help correct my walk and my ankles, strengthen them, and kids making fun of me, my shoes. Kids is me. Adults is me. Can be. And so we had a lot of problems. It, I had a lot of problems over the years. Preaching. 
teaching, standing like I do, I started having really major problems, hurting all the time. I'd be hurting so bad when I got through preaching a sermon, I would just almost burst in tears sometimes, and I'm not over-exaggerating. Went to, an, went to a, a podiatrist, um, and he put, I was under his care for over a year. Um, I was none bettered, but grew worse like the woman. Okay? Got tired of fooling with him, and I wasn't getting any better, so I changed to an orthopedic surgeon. Went to this orthopedic surgeon. He made his diagnosis, which was different than what the podiatrist did, and then he said, we're going to do this, this, and this, this. One of the things he did, my right leg was worse than my left. He put me in a hard night cast. I Velcro strapped on every night, so I slept in that to keep my foot at 90-degree angle. I took steroids. I did physical therapy. And he told me that if I would be faithful with that, religious is what he said, and not miss, that he, this was his exact words to me, you may begin to be pain-free in six months. Now, this had been going on for well over two years. I was in my third year of pain. My elders had prayed. My church had prayed. We'd all prayed, believe, whatever, but I hadn't received because back then I didn't understand what I'm teaching you. I didn't, even though I was preaching. And I thought God just wasn't healing me for some reason or hadn't got it yet or whatever. It was all not true. So one night during a Feast of Tabernacles meeting on a Friday afternoon, I came out to prayer, and I was so excited because this is what I heard God say. God said, healing will be released tonight. I'm going to manifest healing. So I don't ever talk to sweetheart him about what I'm going to preach, but I told her that day, didn't I? I said, God's going to heal tonight, I guarantee you. And I was 38 years old. I'm 50. What am I now? What? I'm 57. I really can't remember. I don't like keeping up with it now. <clears throat> but I'm 57 now. But I was 38 then, pastoring and preaching. Church elders, everybody knew I'd been having problems for years. The, the elders said, why don't you just start preaching on a stool? I'm like, man, I'm 38. You don't be on a stool. You know, I won't be sitting up there behind me. I'm, I pace. I walk. Glory to God. I can't sit still over. And so I was getting depressed. I was having, you know, I was having all kinds of problems. So that night, I was preaching on the man who had, was laid at the pool, and he had been in that condition, the Bible says, 38 years. He ain't been laying there 38 years, but he'd been in that condition 38 years. And so I'm preaching away on that sermon that night at the New Testament. And one of my elders stood up and he said, and he, and he interrupted my sermon. I'm thinking, how dare you? I mean, I'm just in a good flow here, really. And so he stood up and uh, said, you're that man. And I'm thinking, what man? He said, you're that man you're preaching about. He said, about your ankles. He said, we need to pray for you right now. We need to end the sermon right now and pray for you right now. So we ended the sermon because I want to be healed. Okay? I want to mess it up. So they got a chair, and they set it right here in the front of the church I was pastoring. And they told me to take my socks and shoes off, and they told everybody that was in the building to come by, and they'd be able to stand there, and he'd give you some anointing oil, and as you come by, you'd put oil on my feet and declare me healed and move on. So I sat in the chair, and they did that. When that was over with, I didn't feel any change. I still had the same pain that was throbbing then. My right foot was really bad. And I would reach down, out of my ignorance, out of my ignorance, I would reach down and press in on where I hurt so bad because I'm not a liar and I'm not a fake. So what you see is what you get. So I wasn't supposed to go around and say I was healed when I was still hurting. So I pushed on my foot and it hurt just as bad as it ever had. So I didn't stand up and say, well, I'm healed because I didn't understand 
what I'm preaching to you now. I did not know what I know now. Okay? So I got mercy with people. So I didn't stand up, and I just thanked everybody for healing. You know what they were all wanting? I could feel it. They wanted me to tell them I was healed. They really, you know, they had a bunch of Pentecostals in there. They wanted me to take a lap or two, circle the building about three times, you know, and, you know, shun die around, you know, shoot a mosquito, shoot a mosquito, shun die, zuki, zuki, hallelujah, Honda, or whatever, and we would have just had revival, they would have said. But I didn't do any of that. I said, thank y'all for praying. Then I go home, and I'm human just like you. The reason I tell you these stories is to try to help you. So then I go home, do I put my cast on or not? If I put my cast on, is that a lack of faith? Do I take my steroids? Do I take the medicine? Oh, I bet if I take the medicine, that'll cancel out my healing. Because that's not faith. I'm not believing I'm healed because they're not taking the pill. But if I don't take the pill and put on the cast, I'm not going to be able to walk tomorrow. Oh, well, that's unbelief. Oh, God, help my unbelief. I, I don't know what to do. And pain becomes more real than promises. And I strap on the cast. And then when I strapped the cast on and got in the bed, I felt like a hypocrite, like a defeated. I just felt horrible. Got up the next morning, took my pill, steroids and ibuprofen. And every morning I'd get up and I'd feel like the tin man. And went, e -e 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 -e. <laughs> you know, in, in the middle of the night, Jill would see me, you know, going to the bathroom, you know, it's just, and I would just walk like, she said, you walk like an old man. Well, I'm hurting. I'm hurting. And then she said, I'm so sick of that cast. You roll over in the middle of the night and slam it into my ankles. Because we snugglers. And she wasn't liking that. And it was hurting my snuggling. Listen, I'm not making this up. Three weeks went by. People would call me from, Brother Dale, how's them ankles? How you doing? I'd say, by stripes, I'm healed. But I didn't speak to my ankles. I didn't do all the things that I'm telling you to do. And I can't explain everything. I don't know everything. But I know I now I was healed 2,000 years ago. It wasn't that God just decided at 38 that he would heal me. It wasn't that he decided that night. It was that night that my faith came in in the word that was being declared to me. And I put faith in God's goodness. And, and, I, and I, you know, God told me he's going to heal somebody. I didn't ever dream it would be me. But he said he's going to heal somebody. Best I'm telling anybody else got healed tonight. So it must be me. And I put faith in that. Put faith in him. Three weeks later, I'm not saying it was that 21, around three weeks later, I got up one morning, popped the cast off, stood up with my weight full, zero pain. Now, when you've been hurting for three years, every day of your life, you know when you're not hurting. You recognize it. And then you're almost afraid to even try. You're afraid to take another step because you might mess it up. You might think it's a fluke. And can I just be that honest with y'all? So I'm not hurting. And I haven't hurt since I was 38 and now I'm 57. I was preaching at Rhema Word, one of our churches in our network, Pastor John Lewis, preaching at his church several years ago. I gave this testimony of what I just told you, and we saw people healed. Do you know that night at his church, according to him, I saw a girl healed of AIDS that was terminal. They brought her before me, and we declared the word of God and commanded that to go from her. And she was healed that night of AIDS. There's nothing too hard for God. And I had given a testimony about healing of my ankles, and we had AIDS healed. I don't care what you're suffering with right now, God will heal you because you've been healed. All we're waiting on is for you to receive it and believe the word of God. Now listen, this is the truth. There is a devil loose. 
on my way walking out of Ramah Word Fellowship, headed back in the back parking lot to get back in my pickup truck. I, that pain hit me in my right ankle, and it about buckled me. My first thought was, oh, God, no. <laughs> That's my first thought. And I said, I can't believe it. And I was hurting just like that because I, I, I remember how that pain used to feel. And it was back on me full speed. And I hurt the rest of that night. I hurt all the next day. I hurt the next day. And I told Pastor Martin, I told my staff, I told a few of my close associates here. And I felt like almost a failure telling, having to tell them that I'm battling something that I've claimed deliverance from. But I shared it with them. And even then, I didn't understand what I know now. What I should have done that night when it hit me, I should have just stood flat-footed in that parking lot and went after it in war. I should have spoke to that ankle. I, said, I should have said, no, no, devil. Mm-mm. No, you lying fig tree. You lying symptom. You are, the devil is a lie and so is his mother-in-law. You are not coming back into this ankle. You are not revisiting this. This right here is over with. This was settled 2,000 years ago. Not pointing back to when I was 38, but point back to 2,000 years ago. This was done. No, 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 we're not having this. And so over the next couple of days, I realized it's not going to go away because I wasn't saying nothing. I, you know what I was saying? Oh, God, please make this ankle go away. And I finally got in the word of God, and I saw I'm going to have to say something. I'm going to have to get mad about something. I'm going to have to resist this. And I started resisting it proactively. I started speaking to it, and I said, I am not having this. I am not going to have this. I will not have this. And in three days, four days, around that time, Gone, never been back again. Now, he might try me before I get to the truck today, just so he knows that I know that he's stupid. But, I'll, but I'm, I'm better armed now with the word of faith than I was then. I'm not standing in my strength. I'm standing in his. I'm not standing in my accomplishments. I'm standing in his. I don't even claim nothing righteous. He's the righteousness of God. That he's my righteousness now that's been given to me as a free gift. So I'm, I'm standing in that. Now, guys, if we would believe this, I'm wanting to see every one of you receive what you're believing for. If you would just believe that you already have it. Most of you, I, listen, and I'm... I'm trying to be as honest as I know how. Man, I've been to every, I've been there. So I'm not mad with you. I'm not trying to make you feel like you're stupid or you, you're dumb or you're I want to see you receive it. Jesus wasn't asking, did it work? Well, let's, God, let's ask God a second time to the blind man. Let's see if it worked this time. You know, that's how we've done most of it, and that's why it don't work. Jesus wasn't saying, did it work? Did it work? He was saying, did you receive it? 